This episode of The Front Lounge, the first Front Lounge episode with video, is brought to you by our mugs, which you can buy on our Teespring store. If you go to congos.com, there's all the store links right there. We have mugs, we have other shit. It's pretty cool. Um, you can drink out of something that says our name on it. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of The Front Lounge with us, the Congus Brothers. Uh, this episode is about the alter mixes we're doing of 1929 Part 1. We've done six kind of alternate mixes and we're going to get into that right now. Yeah, so uh, every time we're trying to finish a record, um, I find that you get to the end process where you've got all this stuff that you've layered on and then you start breaking it down when you're trying to mix it and you realize, oh, well, these three elements kind of sound cool and that's really what the record should be but it's too late you're already kind of committed to the record so you put it out and then we decided well why don't we do versions of these songs in a t completely different way where we you know the song kind of presents itself differently right especially a song like pay for the weekend which has got a kind of pathos in the harmony and in the piano part and as it becomes a big record maybe that gets lost so it's nice to have two versions one that highlights the harmonic kind of gentle content and the other fuck off loud one it's also like uh everything must go this this alternate mix kind of got inspired by when we were playing it live um it was it actually worked better starting off with just piano voice because in the set that we had like this four or five song um really intense kind of loud bangers and then we wanted to take a break and give the audience's ears a little break so we started everything must go differently than we started on the record and i think it actually kind of works out better I've, i'm going to correct you there even because it's like russian doll situation where the original demo did start out with just piano and sort of muted drums and stuff like that it was mellow yeah and then we played it live at a festival and we're like well we could make this a rock song so we put this banger intro and then once we finished it, we went back and realized, let's go back to pretty much how it was in the beginning. Yeah, I think it, that was basically a mistake. The, the one on the regular album is fine, but the song is better served by having it start off chill because it just sets up the mood wrong if you start with the big thing. I don't know if it's a mistake. It just depends on what you're into at that time. You know, at the time you were making that louder intro and focusing on the jungle bass section and all that kind of stuff, it's basically what you're enamored with at the time that you prioritize. Yeah, I, I just think the core of that song on this alter mix version now, we focus too much on that everything must go jungle section where it could actually be a pleasant little surprise that's not focused on too much where the core of the song is actually the, the two choruses or bridge in the chorus, you know? Yeah. Um, One thing I like about these alter mixes is that we got to use like f hundreds of times more reverb than we use. <laughs> so we got to feel what it's like to be the XX or some fucking English band <laughs> that is obsessed used, with reverb. We used a hundred more reverb. <laughs> there was that band, I can't even remember their name. We played a show in London. I, you guys remember where yeah. it, it was 100% reverb the entire show. Mm -hmm. The guy was asking for more reverb <laughs> in his monitors as he was doing sound check. Yeah. But what's funny is, when Mick was describing, there's a certain acronym um, for someone who plays guitar, like just acoustic guitar and singing, and he was describing them and doing an impression, and the impression was 
can I have some more reverb, please? And like literally two seconds later, the guy goes with a glass of wine. He goes, could I please have some more reverb? <laughs> and all you could hear was, sounded like we were in the fucking tunnel. When we, This was like 2012 or 13 or something. Mm-hmm. It was sort of, if I remember correctly, it was kind of when Lana Del Rey was really big. Yeah. And this big, lush, wet, dreamy sound was kind of really popular, especially with sort of UK um, psychedelic folk bands yeah it wasn't mick it was um richie richie and another scottish <laughs> guy uh yeah because he was he was mick's replacement for that week that he couldn't come that mick couldn't come out with us it was the i remember now very well it was the time it was the day that um coming through now went gold oh yeah, oh, yeah. no had, no we had a little whiskey celebration uh, we're, there was two times then that english bands were asking for more reverb because <laughs> it was the other one was at um ding ding walls that band was also asking for more. Oh, right, reverb. yeah, yeah. But my favorite Richie memory is watching the fucking World Cup in in the hotel with the Italian bartender. So it's an Italian bartender, a bunch of English people, Richie, a Scottish guy, and us. And it's England playing Italy. So the Italian bartender is, is secretly cheering for Italy, obviously, and kind of keeping it chill because he doesn't want to piss, piss off all the English people. We ask Richie... <laughs> Who he's, who he's rooting for, and he just looks at us deadpan loud so the other English people can hear, and he goes, anyone but fucking England. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite yeah. Richie memory. That was also pre-Brexit and pre the Scottish independence. independence well, it, was current, it was happening, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, they did have an independent streak that obviously they voted against, and it, I've just been seeing some stuff recently on Reddit and that that there's some Scots that are pissed off that they're starting to look like the reasonable ones in England now, you know, because mm-hmm. they wanted to stay part of the European Union and, and leave England. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> now it looks like the English are the crazy people, and this guy was pissed off that the English or the Scottish reputation for being nutters is being diminished, and he was he was angry <laughs> about this. Like we used to be considered the fucking madmen of Europe, and now we look like the reasonable ones. Yeah, Scottish people Twitter is my favorite. Uh is that a Reddit subreddit? Scottish people Twitter? Yeah, it's a subreddit slash r slash Scottish people Twitter, and it's just screen captures of funny shit that Scottish people say <laughs> on Twitter and other. Because they tweet in their accent. Yeah, it's an entirely yeah. different written language almost. You, know? you read it in their accent automatically, yeah. even if they're using, even if they don't use special words, you can picture it perfectly. Yeah, a lot of times it's spelled phonetically with a Scottish accent. Yeah. It just. It's there's something about that Scottish English rivalry that's so satisfying to watch as a, a spectator. Yeah. It's like uh, there was that movie in the loop with the um, Peter Capaldi, the guy who played Doctor Who, and uh, James Gandolfini, American, calls him English, and he says, "Call me fucking English one more time." <laughs> <laughs> the this this is unrelated, but that reverb thing. Um, there's this guy George Massenberg who I've been checking out. He's like a he's a famous engineer. He kind of invented parametric EQ. He invented a kind of EQ that's used everywhere all day long and you know, even your car stereo has got one. He's kind of responsible for the modern implementation of it and he's the only guy to win a technical Grammy and one for recording and he did this he made a huge record. I think it was with somebody like Linda Ronstadt or something in the 70s or 80s and he it was super wet. He made this very wet section and it was because he was he spent a week at the Grand Canyon and he came back into the studio. So he was just obsessed with shit that sounded like a canyon. Mm-hmm. So he came back and it kind of led to this, at the time, unique thing that he did with... Re- so you're, you go 
somewhere and you get into the sound that that place is making and then you want to do that. Yeah, na- a, nature informing art. Yeah. There's a bunch of those plugins that have sampled those spaces, including natural spaces like mm-hmm. the Grand Canyon and other canyons to get that reverberation that you get. But when you actually do that in a real place where you hear like a one, a full one second delay yeah. on a clap, that's a weird thing because you so rarely hear that. Like You might go into a big hall or big room, but nothing like a canyon slapping back at you. Yeah. Are there any um, presets on any of those reverb plugins for lavi or toilet, like bathroom? I think there are, yeah. Because we should, if there isn't, we should... Uh, that's such a common thing with home studios that people have a toilet that sounds good or the shower that sounds good. But like the common thing is like I sound better in the shower. What was weird was when we were playing that Florida festival and Kings of Leon was on, I, I left right at the encore so I could beat the crowd. And I was walking back to the hotel and the hotel was a big uh, building where the face of it was opposite the stage. And it was probably half a mile away. And it just sounded like there were little miniature Kings of Leons on top of the hotel playing the song back because the the, the slap, the the echo was a good at least second or two. And so you could hear like this, you could hear some of the stuff coming from the stage, but then you heard it perfectly, like crystal clear, but just sounded like little miniature, like ant-sized mm-hmm. Kings of Leon guys playing on the building. There's nothing more disorienting than playing in a venue where you haven't got in-ears and... It's, you're getting a massive slap back off a back wall or a, a you know whatever it is because you, you just cannot your brain can't really compute it when you're trying to put out material and it's receiving it back at the wrong kind of delay it confuses the fuck out that of you. reminds me of disorienting stories where Bootsy Collins convinced James Brown to do LSD before a show when he had never really done drugs and they all they said their guitars were turning into snakes and <laughs> that's disorienting. <laughs> um, that that sensation of hearing yourself delayed, you know, most people have never probably experienced it, you know, but when uh, we were doing a bus call and the cameraman had headphones on, you know, to check the audio, because of the way it was processing through the recorder, there was a delay. And so if you try and talk with headphones on where you can't, where it's like, whatever half second second delay it turns your brain into mush you literally cannot think because you're going hi 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 it it just slows Mm -hmm. you down into basically a moron Mm -hmm. also i think we talked about this with logan and some of the other camera people that did bus call that it made it feel to them like they were watching a film because of the delay that they were hearing made them look at it more filmically you know like yeah and detach basically from the yeah. events because you're not there in reality yeah. you're watching it that delay back. thing though where you can't hear your voice in time is a short circuit i feel like i feel like it's you're you're so expecting your voice to happen at the time that it happens that i i seem to remember watching like fox news and cnn reports you know where they've got a guy on being interviewed and it seems like they intentionally fuck with his earpiece to make him look like an idiot. Obviously, politicians don't have to do a lot, a lot of times to look like idiots, but mm-hmm. sometimes when they've got a particular angle or axe to grind, you mess it with the tiny bit with someone's ear, in-ear monitoring and it just makes you look like a That's true. The, idiot. You, you wouldn't have, they wouldn't even necessarily notice if you added a 15 millisecond or 25 millisecond delay to their own voice, they would just automatically slow down. It's too bad there's not real life look ahead where you could put their voice in the future. <laughs> then they would really be confused. <laughs> uh, hey, why don't we take a second here to cut to Colton? 
What's up, Colton? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, let's just talk briefly about this. This is our first video podcast, so we're, we're getting used to the switching and everything. And <laughs> Colton, you're doing the video switching. Colton, Cameron, too. <laughs> well, I was looking for... I, the reason I left was because I was looking for the Congress mug. I figured if we're going to be on video, it might as well just be repping all Congress merch. Jesse has the front lounge, front lounge mug. Where I don't know where the Congress mug is, though. I think it's in the wash there. We should all just wear Congress headbands and T-shirts. And <laughs> I was going to put the hat on. Yeah. Um, you want to do some news for us? Sure. All right. So, uh, Rocket Man, that Elton John movie that comes out Friday. Um, supposedly, it's supposed to be more accurate than Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury movie. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. Do you know what's way more accurate than that? Just going to see Elton John. He's like, it, it, I, I have, I'm not going to watch that movie. I don't know about you guys. It, uh, I have zero interest in seeing a documentary or a thing fictional about a, thing about a guy that's alive. And not just alive, he's very active <laughs> in interviews. And it's, it's not like he's some hidden recluse that you can't see. And now I'm going to go see a guy do a bad impression of a very unique performer. I don't. I mean, that's kind of a sweeping statement. They made a, a Great Balls of Fire movie, you know, about Jerry Lee Lewis, who's still alive, um, and that was what twenty years ago or Is something. He's still alive? Yeah, I, I believe he's still alive. I think he died. I'm not sure. Well, that he well he died certainly died after the film. After the film. Yeah. Um, I have a funny story about that. We were we were driving in Studio City the other day, and. Uh, Eve looks out the window. She goes, "Daddy on on the picture, Daddy on the picture," and it was the Rocket Man poster. So, <laughs> yeah, the things I look. He's from behind, and he's got his hands up, and there's a big crowd. So she basically thinks that's what I do. <laughs> you know, she's watched some of our music videos where we made it look like we have huge crowds. <laughs> All right. Well, what's the next piece of news, Colton? All right. Another news: uh, American climber dies on. The descent of Mount Everest. Apparently, this has been a big. Uh, oh, I saw that. It's the climbing. ninth ninth climber to die this month. No, the the eleventh now. Eleven past, past ten days. Yeah, in Jeez. the past ten days. It yeah. keeps popping up on Twitter trending stories like they call it the the Everest traffic jam. Yeah. Of just people dying trying to do this, and now there's so many bodies along the way. But it's, it's I, not, when I first saw it, I literally thought it was an onion story because of overcrowding. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's not because of like cold weather or. Uh, conditions whatever it's because there are too many people trying to do it and then when they're climbing some of the more treacherous parts like one person makes a mistake and makes another person fall it's fucking insane but i think it also there's limited windows where you can go from for that last little bit of it is the really difficult part where the weather changes in an instant so if there's a line to do that and you get trapped in that middle area is i think really is it dangerous is it the Sher- like the Sherpas? Are they dying, or are they just not? None of them are dying. It's just the people going along for the ride. I, I don't know. know. I mean, I'm all for new frontiers and challenging yourself, but I mean, how so many people have climbed Everest now? You know, should find some other <laughs> frontier where there's not. It's Runyon like, Canyon. I'm gonna drive the four or five <laughs> at rush hour. I wondered. Yeah, does the novelty wear off? Must do. Must the fact the the novelty must wear off the more people that climb it. Well, there's also that idea that when something is accomplished, it makes it easier for other people to accomplish. Right, yeah, like the four minute mile. Yeah, that that uh, Alex Han movie solo or free solo. Hanel. Is, 
Honol, Honol, yeah, the climber that did El Capitan without ropes. That's an insane and amazing movie to watch, but I'm not giving anything away. At the end, he says, like, now that he's done it, I mean, I'm giving everything away, but you obviously know he did it. Mm -hmm. But he says, now that he's done that, like, he fully expects other kids and other people to do it and then jump ahead from what, you know, what's the next challenge beyond El Capitan. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I've seen interviews with people that are like the next. Um, level of climber like they're just below um, Alex Honnold level and they're they're like I I don't really want to do that <laughs> like they don't have any interest in going and climbing 3,000 feet without a rope yeah no of course but there always is someone yeah, that, that you know kind of goes beyond um, next news item so today marks the three year point since the death of Harambe and that it was actually just funny to me because <laughs> on my first tour, that was the question I got when people would see the egomaniac stuff. It was like, is this, for, is this going towards Harambe? <laughs> it's like, no. I saw that today, uh, and I was hoping nobody would bring it up, but <laughs> thanks, Colton. You're yeah, welcome. so Harambe, the gorilla who died in the zoo. Did they shoot him? I forget. Yeah, they yeah. shot yeah. him, I um, Three months before that, we had done our album cover for Egomaniac that had a gorilla on it, and... Then by the time the album come out, came out, it was all like in the pipeline. There's nothing we could do to change it, and the Harambe story broke. So everybody, literally everybody, thought all the YouTube comments were, "Oh, shout out to Harambe," <laughs> which is fine, you know, if you want to shout out your respects to the gorilla. But <laughs> it was not the intent of the album, and you know, it, the egomaniac part of it was was using an animal with this particular posture to kind of symbolize the the ego and the that strut so it didn't really have anything to do with it hey colton let me ask you a question um do you have any news related items that aren't <laughs> death related <laughs> <laughs> i'm really just trying not to get too political gorillas are <laughs> just, just gorillas on music uh yeah <laughs> death and music death and music all right well yeah that's less offensive than um politics I guess so. <laughs> My favorite death in a music song is that Ralph Stanley version of Oh Death. That's a good one. Yeah, that used that in uh what's it called? Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah. The soundtrack from that movie is really excellent. Yeah. Is that it from the news, Colton, or have you got one more story? Well <laughs> <laughs> I I have one more. It just depends on if you guys actually want to fucking talk about Adam Levine leaving the voice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> He was he replaced by Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani. Hmm. That's an upgrade. Um, I that's I could care less. Couldn't care couldn't less. care less. I could not give a shit. <laughs> no yeah. doubt has made some really great records though. Oh yeah, uh, you know, yeah, and yeah. Gwen Stefani's made some great records. So that's a good replacement. I think. Yeah, I, was, I like uh, that's like Sunday Morning is a great track. The um. The Super Bowl, I mean, this is old news, but the Super Bowl with Adam Levine just kind of sealed the deal for me that he's one of the mo most Underrated. classy, yeah, <laughs> sort of sincere guys I've ever <laughs> witnessed. So. Yeah. All right, let's move on from that story quick. <laughs> um, back to the Ultramixes. So let's just list the songs that we did. We did, what is the album order? Did you know? He goes, uh, Stand Up, Something New, Keep Your Head, Pay for the Weekend, Everything must go four five four three. I believe that's the order of it. Okay. Um, 
Well, yeah, I guess let's just briefly talk about each one of the ones, what we did differently in the treatment. So stand up. I had started messing around with trying to do the alternate version using the guitar thing where it sounded a little bit like a kind of... Lounge tango. Yeah, lounge tango or reggae acoustic sort of thing. And no one really liked it. And Danny said, why don't you just try playing those chords on a piano? So we pulled up a, a virtual piano and then he put it through this like bunch of delays and spring reverbs. And his vision for it was that, imagine it's like a lounge singer band you're listening to down the hallway on a metal spaceship in 2065 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we kind of used that image as the soundscape for how we treated it. There's also an element which I kind of like, which is when the score music in a film or a TV show lines up with the music that's happening in the scene, you know, sometimes that's a technique they'll use where the score me music kind of blends. And so you have these two different environments where music's occurring and it's almost two different realities where the music is occurring. And that song has that feel a little bit because the piano is so lush and sounds like a dramatic score. But then the vocal and some of the other elements like the accordion sounds like it's happening, you know, in a side street in Argentina or something like that. Well, because mm -hmm. of how poorly I recorded that accordion solo to begin with, it does sound like we sampled some old record, you know, off a vinyl or a wire recording and put it in there. So it has that exactly what you're saying. Like you, it was a real thing that happened. Um, Something new is somewhat similar treatment to stand up. We try to pair the tracks that um, seem to link together. And also just, I had a piano part on the record from a long time ago that I pulled out of the mix for the final recording. And I've always wanted the piano to be featured somehow just because it's really it's hard to find an instrument that captures the harmony better when it's a complex harmony like that. So it's just a basic piano um, part with also sort of spacey vocals and the bridge, all those choir voices that we did, I kind of wanted to, those to be featured more strongly as well. And I think that they, they kind of sell the song almost better than the original in some ways. Yeah, I was going to say, this is another one of those songs where when you're listening too much to the track and the, these cool synths and all the drum parts on the original version, but I think the melody might just go past people without them really picking up on it uh, in that the, way. The bridge section is this because, kind of Beatles-y because section that always got lost on the original, like the counter melodies and all that. Yeah, it's it's such an, not awkward, it's a obscure melody, so it's really hard to make that come across over a big rock band. But um, one thing that I did, which was kind of cool, was um, I took the the live drum parts and I slowed them down twice or to like, you know, 25% or 400%, depending on how you want to calculate it. But So it's the same exact drums from the record, but it's just like in slow motion. And it because the samples get chopped up when you have to stretch audio like that, it has like this sizzly slow motion feel. If you've ever slowed down an iPhone video, it's got... Yeah, it's like granular. Um, I think it's pretty cool. So then we did uh, Keep Your Head, right? So I said, yeah. Keep Your Head. Yeah, what what did I do to this one? I just, I, I guess I got rid of the, anything electronic except for a couple of synths in the riff section and the breakdown. I just wanted it to be acoustic guitar. It's kind of how I wrote it. Um, and then uh, I got rid of the drums and I just recorded, I actually I added to this one, I guess I recorded um, 
the kick drum and the snare drum on the guitar, you know, just dum kak dum kak. And that dum kak is one of my favorite yeah. techniques. It's a, I, I put a dum kak on it <laughs> and and I mixed that one in the box and that's what made me decide to upgrade my studio. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, in the, we should in the say. box, what does that mean, Danny? In the box means when you... I did all of the level changes and the EQs and the distortion and the compression and all that kind of stuff. This is not entirely true because a bunch of the stuff I kept in there was processed via outboard stuff during the original mixing of Keep Your Head. But I basically mixed it inside the computer without going to external gear. And um, no. it was very satisfying in, in the, the ease and the kind of the relief it provides not having to worry about going out of the box, but there's a few things that I thought were lacking. So that made me go buy a bunch of gear, and now I'm building my project studio again. And now he's got so many pieces of gear in his room that it's like living in a box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he's in the box. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, um, we should say that we, on a, a bunch of these songs, all of them on this one, we did a lot more of that. Obviously, because a lot of the core elements had already been processed and gone through stuff, but it did change the way we thought about this. We were focusing more on the actual uh, macroscopic idea of the mix, like literally the level of a vocal in relation to a piano versus, you know, maybe micro compression issues. And it, it allows you also to be making changes within the box that are recallable and you can get back to where you want, where we would spend a lot of time previously going through all this outboard gear, and you kind of set it, and it's done, and you to get back to it, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's kind of a obscure, boring, technical discussion for a lot of people, but, I, but what we're trying to do is find that balance between using the analog gear, where the process literally is to play the sound out through this piece of gear and record it back. So it's not like you can change it you know, in the in in the middle of your process, you have to print it and live with it or redo it. Um, so, how much of that to do, and then how much to do in the computer, which is completely free. You can change it at any time. You can save a million different versions. You can, you know, always go back to what you did with a click of a button. So, yeah, the the problem is you hear some of this outboard, this analog stuff, and it just sounds so good that you want to use it all the time, and then. Because you want to use it all the time, it perhaps distorts the bigger picture, which is, you know, a literal, a literal balance is more important than whatever piece of gear you're using. Yeah. So we're just trying to find that space because it's, a, it's more of like an efficiency of work question, I think, than sometimes the specific quality of a sound. Like, yeah. if you can get the vibe captured quicker sometimes that's more beneficial than the little bit of increase in sound quality that you get from going out. Yeah. Sometimes not, though. Um, next pay for the Weekend. This one is not that different from the original, but um, the original demo was much more sort of mellow and low-key and lo-fi almost, and it was inspired by um, Ethiopian and Eritrean music, and I forget the name of the artist. I'll have to find him. There's one artist in particular where it's this old guy playing a melody on this strange sort of lute guitar type instrument and he's singing and following the melody with his um, instrument uh, and it's like he's just it sounds like he's next to the microphone going it's just so underselling the song but it's so intimate and so good 
um, and also the Ethiopian harmony. So I wanted to add a little bit of that mellow feel back for this, and basically I got rid of the guitars, I got rid of the live drums, I got rid of this, uh, most of the synths, and made it more uh, like a almost like a folk desert track or something like that. Yeah, and you on that you had, I guess you hear it in the original version, but you can hear better now the nice acoustic guitar and then your real piano. Oh yeah, which I, is, that was, I cut that out of the full mix. It's not in uh, there at all. Well, yeah, and that's that old piano that you've got at your house, which is the piano I'm playing in episode five or whatever it is, a bus call, that, like me as a three or four-year-old, whatever it is, playing that little thing. That same Steinway piano, it's traveled around the world and getting used all the time now on new recordings, which is Yeah, cool. it's got a special sound. I just, I was making these demos in, in my little room, my home studio, and um, just... You, when you want to get an idea done, you just don't try very hard to get it recorded properly. I just put one microphone up and started playing. But then that sort of unofficial sound has captured so much feeling, I thought, with that particular piano. Yeah. Um, what was next? Everything Must Go. I guess we kind of talked about this in the beginning, but this we really stripped this one way down to basically piano and voice for most of it. Um, that was the, I had bought this piano last year, a Yamaha um, U1, which is just a little upright. It's kind of one of the standard songwriter up, like everyone, every songwriter's got a U1 or something very similar to it. And it's, it's got this cool feature where you can push, push the middle pedal in and it drops this um, velvet on, uh, piece of material between the hammers and the strings. So when you play it, it's got this very muted, mellow sound. You lose all the kind of brightness of a, particularly of Yamaha pianos. So is that in addition to it making the hammers closer, or is it? No, it doesn't change the hammer depth. I don't believe that's. A, there's another pedal that does. Doesn't change the depth. It shifts the hammers slightly to the left, and so they only hit huh. one of the strings. So you get a more, more muted sound as opposed to the three. What strings. about on the low octaves where there's only one string? I think it doesn't shift those. It, it, I mean, it's a very complicated mechanism to, to deal with that. But all this does is drops this sheet of, not velvet, whatever, uh, felt, a sheet of felt in between the strings and the hammers. So when you hit it, it's a very muted sound. Mm -hmm. And I've been, it's really nice to sit and write songs and play that way. And I was just messing around playing the parts from Everything Must Go and recorded it. So you can actually hear it like click in my ear because I'm trying to hear it and play in time and lots of noise and creaking seats and all that but it has a really nice sound that uh, muted piano um, and then we went full 90s drum and bass for the hook section f set phasers to stun <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a kind of uh, you took a snare the snare drum basically yeah the bottom mm -hmm. snare drum J mm -hmm. Jesse we record the bottom of the snare drum, so you pick up a lot of just like the buzz of the snares, and uh, we just use that mic and then put it through a bunch of weird effects. That's Mick's favorite mic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he hates that, doesn't he? He hates he, the bottom. He's, he's, yeah. I like this bottom. I mean, there's sometimes when it's useful, you know, but I think he hates the, the common usage of it, which is, you know, especially in live sound where the normal thing is to put a microphone on the top and the microphone on the bottom of the snare so that you can control the sort of attack and the meat of the drum and then also the bzz that a snare drum has mm -hmm. and blend them. But he, uh, the other day, I forget where it was, uh, Albany or something like that, 
the, the stagehands did not know what they were doing, so we didn't have half our microphones. We and we're going tapping around, you know, and uh, get to the bottom snare, and it's not working. And Mick, I hear Mick in the ears go, "Oh, I don't give a fuck about that, Mike." <laughs> <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that can fucking go. <laughs> so then, the last track on this little EP is four five four three, which yeah, what did on you? That- I just got rid of the uh, got rid of basically everything and kept the the synth parts. So I kept the little melody and the the low end bass part, which provides the kind of interference. Um, And yeah, that's basically all that one was. I would say we didn't change it. We we basically just removed stuff and yeah, uh, maybe you made it a little wetter, like a little more dreamy and reverby. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, I mean the solo is much dreamier, um, and then I re reprocessed the vocal, but nothing fundamental. Just basically got rid of stuff to make it a dreamscape. We didn't do any of Dylan's songs because his most of his songs are already kind of stripped down, and like mm-hmm. there's not much you could take out to make it significantly it different. We could have done hard like, rock yeah. version of Real Life and Wild Hearts. Yeah. Well, we were gonna do Real Life. I was just gonna record the bass part over. The existing vocal that we do, you know, we do acoustically. We do the uh, um, VIP sessions, but then I realized that we we do the VIP sessions in a different key, and so I didn't feel like <laughs> didn't feel like learning and recording uh, the bass part in another key. Yeah. Um, because like there was an open. It's like open tuning. And it's also the records too are already so bare. Bare, yeah. Yeah, well, I, we should have done an acapella version of those songs. <laughs> Well, we should say maybe just that a reading of the lyric. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play all six of these tracks here at the end of the podcast, and then they are coming out on June fourth, Tuesday, June fourth, on Apple, Spotify, all streaming services. So when they do come out, that make sh- on that make sure you add them to your playlists, like them, all that sort of thing, and then share them with your friends, and then tell people about this podcast because this is the kind of thing we do here. And then Congress Podcast Industries is exclusives for this uh, for podcast listeners. Also, the CDs um, right now are out on the website, but the next batch will include these mixes. So there'll be the ten um, original mixes of nineteen twenty nine, and then six alter mixes. So sixteen songs for for ten bucks. Is that how much of the CDs on the website? Ten bucks. Yeah. I mean, what is that? That's a pretty good price. <laughs> like 70 cents a song or something like that <laughs> 60 67 cents oh and then the other thing is i mean i'm as, i would assume that a fair amount of our podcast listeners are subscribed to our newsletter but if not you should go sign up at congress.com slash sign up because we're gonna be putting out a weekly newsletter that is maybe the best way to keep up on all the actual things that we're doing because i don't know about everyone's got different places where they find us and social media tends to be a bit noisy and it's hard to see what we're actually doing and it's kind of cluttered so if you want to kind of get the essentials from us that newsletter is the best way to do that it's like a chris a family christmas newsletter once a week where we tell you what what we've been up to you know this week we are recording new songs shit otherwise we're gonna be well we've got i mean well the other thing to talk about is that we've just put out we did a behind the song for stand up a couple of weeks ago. We've just put out a new video on YouTube for Wild Hearts, and there's about four or five more of those coming uh, over the next couple of weeks. And those are really long, in depth discussions about the songs in the studio where we solo out and play 
each track kind of by itself and discuss it. So if you want to get super detailed into any particular song, those are a great way to do that. And all that comes in the newsletter updates, just letting you know what's going on. Otherwise, you're trying to track so many places to see what's going on. So should we play these new songs then? Yeah. Or new yeah. versions of the songs? Um, we, we So we mentioned we're doing video on this podcast. It's an experiment right now. Uh, at the moment, you will be able to watch the video feed on YouTube, um, but the podcast, audio podcast, will just continue to be gotten in the same way. Uh, thank you for listening. Now here's 1929 Part 1 Alter Mixes. Cheers, guys. Take me to your leader Sit down And tell me about your freedom Look left And tell me how you've lost your way Look right And show me how you found again Now find a change
try something new Hold the tongue, put down the pen All this talking and all these words will never end I come from here and you come from there You've done that and I've only done this And we wonder why the point is always missed
I walk the streets in my own world. See your faces pass me by. Each face I know has a story to be told. But I'm just too wrapped up in mine. So keep your head, keep your head, and keep your headphones on. Make 'em loud, make 'em loud. Drown out all the sound. To keep your head, keep your head, and keep your headphones on. To look around, look around. Fall. One thing always leads to another. 
is dead Trying anything, forget Monday morning comes and feeling the pain You tell yourself never, ever, never, never, ever, never again And now we're gonna pay for the weekend We're gonna pay for the weekend We had to go and jump in the deep end Never, ever, never, never, ever, never again We're gonna pay for the weekend We had to go and lose your feeling, feeling hollow Never, ever, never, never, ever, never again See you. 